0: Uh, that old uh, sort of familiar cliche that uh, when we are on our deathbeds, <laughs> cheery thought to start with, when we're on our deathbeds that we are never going to sort of look back over our lives and not regret more, spending more time in the office. Okay, you've heard that sort of thing. Now usually uh, that sort of cliche I think it's, it's used to sort of encourage people is to spend more time with their family, spend more time with their kids, doing stuff that they enjoy. Okay? but I think that cliche, it really does raise an interesting question for us. When you get old and grey, when I get old and grey, when we're looking back in our lives, what do we want our lives to have been about? I mean, as... Christians, the so people of God, surely want to look back in our lives and see that, that it's been about God, that it's been about his glory, isn 't that what you want? Is that not what it is about that we look back maybe okay from our deathbed, it 's going to be like that, and we scan through the years, and we see we can see us having been used by God for His glory? Is that not what you want? Well, that might be what we want, but there's a bit of a problem with that, isn't there? Like some sort of old laptop, you know, with too many sort of songs on it and too many pictures on it. Our lives can sometimes not be working as they maybe should be working. All these sort of distractions come into our lives. All these problems come into our lives and suddenly they clog us up. We find ourselves not thinking spiritually. We find ourselves not acting faithfully. And because of that, look at us. Maybe we are not being used by God as we could well this morning as we turn to Acts 18 what do do we see Acts 18 we see people we see a a group of people and in Acts 18 we see people who are used, all of them (laughs) all of them mightily used by the Lord our God so I'll tell you what we're going to do just now we're going to look at Acts 18 we're going to think about these people And we'll take out principles from their lives that will hopefully see us, you and me, used increasingly for the glory of our God. Okay? So let's get there. If your Bibles are open, please get to Acts chapter 18. Let's think about a few things here. Let's see firstly that we need to, if we're going to be used by God in this life, right? We need to exploit our relationships. We need to exploit are utilize our relationships. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, okay, Johnny and Sarah, who are here today, sorry to embarrass you, but they've been worshiping with us for about six months or so, and they are very soon to tie the knot and get married, which is exciting times for, for Johnny and Sarah. Here's my question, though. If you were in their situation just now, what would you want that new marriage to be all about? Hmm? Let's say you're single just now. Let's say you meet someone. Maybe that's a surprise. You meet someone, you get, you're get going to get married. What would you want that marriage to be centered on? Or let's say you've been married for a long, long time. Let's say you've been married for decades. What would you say in an ideal world should characterize that marriage? Well, here in these verses that we've read, or that Dan's read earlier on, we meet who? You see who we meet? We meet again Priscilla and Aquila. I think about what they are. Priscilla and Aquila are a married couple. And they are a married couple that, what we find in the New Testament, they are a married couple that are used again and again by the Lord God. So, here, let's think about what it is that we learn from Priscilla and Aquila. I'm just going to suggest a few things. Just a few things that we learn uh, from them, Okay? We learn from Priscilla and Aquila that married couples should be working together for Christ. Now, do me a favour, if you've got your Bible open, just look at verse 18. Verse 8 doesn't, in, in some ways it might, it might not jump out at you, but in verse 18 it's quite crucial, really, I think. In verse 18, a, a, an ancient formula that was a, you would expect to see in, in writing, it is reversed. So, in days gone by, if a writer, an author, was writing about a husband and a wife, he would write about a husband and then a wife, you know? Like, the guy would go, it'd be Andy and then Kath or Ian and Beth, and the guy would go first. But look at verse 18. It's not like that here. It's Priscilla and Aquila. Now, I think that that there is most probably because Priscilla, the woman, was more prominent in the life of 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 the New Testament church, I don't know why? Maybe she had more time in her hands. Maybe, as it often is, the wife here was more spiritually minded than the husband. But what I want you to think about is how it doesn't really matter. Like Priscilla and Aquila here, they are mentioned time, as I said, they're mentioned time and time again throughout the New Testament. You know what? Every single time they're mentioned, they are mentioned t- together. So, okay, Priscilla's maybe more prominent in the New Testament church. Perhaps she's more spiritually minded. But Aquila, the guy, he's not, therefore, off in a huff somewhere, you know, nursing his pride. Not a bit of it. Do you see it? This is a couple here, regardless of their spiritual pecking order, this is a couple who are working together. Priscilla and Aquila working together as a married couple, working together for Christ. What else? We also learn that married couples should be taking on spiritual responsibilities. I wonder, do you recognize that this portion of Scripture is quite unusual for us? You see what I mean? Like, we've, we've followed Paul in his missionary journeys, and we've done it in minute detail. You know what I mean? Like Luke has taken us from town to town. Every step that Paul takes, <coughs> that's recorded. It's recorded in a great amount of detail. But think about what, what Dan read. Think about from verse 18 to verse 28. Let me tell you, it's totally different. What happens here is in just a few short verses, Paul goes all the way from Greece. He's in Corinth in Greece, and he goes all the way from Corinth into Ephesus, and he goes all the way right across the Mediterranean to Syria, goes to Caesarea, goes to uh, Jerusalem, he goes to Antioch, he goes back to Galatia, to Phrygia, all of that. See that? All of that in just a few verses, and that's quite strange. But what I want you to think about, and see, hang on, it isn't Silas that goes with him. See that? I mean, it isn't Timothy that travels with Paul on that huge, big journey or any of it. It isn't even Barnabas. Do you see who it is? It's Priscilla and Aquila that take on this huge responsibility of being Paul's chief companions, at least on the first leg of this journey to Ephesus. Now, that's something. Do you see how much Paul trusts this married couple? Do you see the responsibility they're taking on? Ah, but week it's better. Look at this. Look what happens when they actually get to Ephesus. So they've, they've travelled from Corinth to Ephesus. What happens? Now Paul, I've just said, he's just stopping off. He, he's on the way to Syria. He's got other business. Okay, what does he do? It seems to be that Paul charges this married couple, Priscilla and Aquila, with establishing the church in Ephesus. Later on in those verses, you'll see that they too... They are in the synagogue. Then what we learn later in the New Testament is that that church in Ephesus, where did it meet? They met all together in Priscilla and Aquila's house. See the point? They are not just okay occasionally working together for Jesus as a married couple. This is a couple that are growing together Spiritually. This is a married couple that are maturing together. This is a married couple that are taking on lots and lots of spiritual responsibilities. And then lastly, Priscilla and look, think about this. We learn that married couples should be showing spiritual wisdom. I think I've said this before from the pulpit, but I used to work in a Christian boot shop uh, in Inverness many years ago. Uh, for a very short time, I worked with another Christian bloke, quite a young guy. And he was great to work with because he was the most enthusiastic man you've ever met in your life. You know, enthusiastic about everything, but he was most enthusiastic about his faith. You know, he was, he was a guy who was on it. You know, he, he was a guy who was absolutely A young bloke, but zealous about his faith. But, I was thinking about how I should say this diplomatically about this guy. Uh, Zealous for his faith, but had a a few sort of very obvious theological creases that probably needed ironing out. Okay, so you've got the picture of that guy, right? Well, isn't that what we've got here? Isn't it? We are later introduced to a guy called Apollos here. Now, Apollos, at this stage, fairly young bloke probably, But Apollos, we are told, he's sort of passionate about the gospel, but he's making also, just like that guy in the bookshop, Apollos is preaching about Christ, but he's making a few sort of theological errors. Now, I want you to think about who sorts it out. Do you see in in the text in verse 26, who sorts out Apollos' problems? Do you see it? Who is it? It's the married couple. Priscilla and Aquila Work together. They, I mean, it's beautiful. They take Apollos aside. They don't, as a couple, sort of rebuke him publicly. They take, take this guy into the home, put their arm around him, and so spiritually alive are they, that they can, so spiritually vital, so spiritually switched on are they, as a couple, that they can rebuke him, or they can correct his errors. The yeah, friends, I want to say, not just to Johnny and Sarah, but I want to say to all of us that we can genuinely learn an awful lot of lessons from Priscilla and Aquila. You out two Sunday nights ago as we looked at Colossians, do you remember what we saw? We saw that the model for a wife's submission in marriage is Jesus. And we saw that a model for a husband's behavior in marriage is Jesus. Do you know what we're saying there? We are seeing that the actual purpose, the actual goal, the actual end of marriage, it should always be about Jesus himself. Our marriages, whether now or later, these things are about Christ. They're about us growing together for him, about serving Jesus. And I think because of what we're seeing here, then, and I mean this, I I think that There need to be an awful lot of serious conversations had in this church today. Like boyfriends and girlfriends and fiancés and husbands and wives sitting opposite each other today and asking each other, do we do this? Is this, I mean, is this where we're at? Are we actually basing our relationships upon Jesus Christ? And I think if we, if we do that, then maybe just like Priscilla and Aquila, we will be couples. We will be people who are being used by God for his glory. So we exploit our relationships. Secondly, if we're going to be used by God, we need to embrace a gospel vision. We need to embrace a gospel vision. What does that mean? It sounds like verbiage, but it's not. Embrace a gospel vision. we used a common expression in that first point about deathbed here let's use another common expression I'm sure you've heard it said about a person that they wear rose tinted spectacles have you heard that, do you know that expression they wear rose tinted spectacles just means that a person has a sort of particular way of viewing the world They wear rose-tinted spectacles. They're very positive, aren't they? They sort of view the circumstances of their lives and they see them in a certain way. Well, that's what we're talking about here with a gospel vision. The idea that, that if you and I genuinely want to be used by God, that we have to seek to view the circumstances of our lives in a certain way. That we have to view the events of our lives through the gospel. To think about these things spiritually. And in the first point, we thought about Priscilla and Aquila. Here, here, second point, it is Paul. The Apostle Paul that shows us this, this idea of a gospel vision uh, in action. So what do, we, what do we see with Paul? Well, think about this. See that Paul thinks spiritually here about the past. He thinks spiritually about the past. I got my hair cut two weeks ago, didn't I? It was a bit of a mess, and it was a pretty drastic haircut. Um, but when I was preparing this sermon and looking at the verses that we're reading today, I kind of wish that I'd left my haircut for another week, because I mean, look what we've got here. It would have made, would have uh, sort of made quite a good illustration, wouldn't it? Do you see what we've got in verse 18? We've got mention of a vow Where Paul shaves off all his hair okay, Would it be more effective if I would left my hair cut Now surely you're asking You're reading that and you're asking Well what is he doing Like why on earth is Paul Shaving off his hair What's the vow about Well it seems to be what was called a Nazarite vow Something we learn about in the book of Numbers In the Old Testament Now these Nazarites This vow would involve them abstaining from alcohol They would let their hair grow long and then they would shave off all their hair. Now here's the, the crucial thing about that. The vow was to show their gratitude to God for protection. About protection. Now wait a minute. That fits with Paul, doesn't it? I mean think about the previous section. Remember what we saw last week? Remember Galio? The Jews were oppressing Paul and Galio speaks, and Gallio chucks the whole court case out there, you know? And Paul's seeing that. Paul has been protected, and Paul is thankful for this. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you see the point? Do you see the gospel vision? Paul's not looking back, and looking back in that courtroom and thinking, Whoa, What a fluke! <laughs> He's not looking back at Galilee speaking just when Paul was about to speak. And, and Paul's not thinking, oh, you know, I was lucky there. How jammy am I? He's looking at these events. He's looking at that courtroom and he is seeing the hand of the Lord God in his life. Do you see it? He is looking back on the events of his life and he is interpreting them through the gospel. More than that. Paul thinks spiritually about the present. He thinks spiritually about the past, but he thinks spiritually about the present. Now, when I was a wee boy, uh, maybe six or seven years old, just a little boy, if you were to pass me on the street, you would see me always doing the same thing, okay? I would always be kicking a football. No matter what was happening, I would have a ball at my feet. So if I'm going to school... Also kicking a ball. If I'm going to a friend's house, also kicking a ball. Going to the shops, guess what? Also kicking a ball. Well, I think that's the sort of thing that we see here with Paul. Now, remember what I've said. This section of scripture is detailing him going. He's away. He's off to Syria. He's going away to, to Antioch. But look at this. While he travels, he is also always doing something else. He's not kicking a football but he is also always looking for opportunities to speak about Jesus Christ. He's just stopping off in Ephesus here. But look at it. What was he thinking? Just stopping off. But I'm also, I'm I'm going to go into the synagogue. I'm just stopping. This is just a port, but I'm going in. I'm going to tell people about the Lord Christ. Wait a minute. Do you see what's going on? He's not just thinking about the past spiritually. Please think about this. He is looking at the current events. He is looking about his very present circumstances that week. And he is thinking about those in light of the gospel. He is asking about what he is going through right now. He is saying, what lessons can I learn about Christ? He's asking, how can I glorify Christ in, in this, this circumstance that I'm going through now? And then, lastly, in Paul, we've seen that, well, he's thinking spiritually. You know where I'm going, surely he's thinking spiritually about the past he's thinking spiritually about the present we see here that Paul is also thinking spiritually about the future last Sunday after the service I listened into a conversation between Dan and one of the other boys in the church (coughs) and uh, that sounds more sinister than it was I wasn't sort of hiding behind one of the pillars doing that (laughs) I was there. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Dan had clearly sent one of the boys an email that week and he had used in the email the initials or the letters DV. And so the boy was chatting to Dan and said, you know, thanks for the email, but what does DV mean? And Dan was able to say to him, well, DV means a what's it? it? means Deo Valenti, or it means it's a way of saying God willing. Now, look what you've got in front of you in verse 21 here. See, the Ephesians, Paul stopped off and he's gone in the synagogue. They've heard him talking about Christ. And they've liked what they've heard, to hear him again. But Paul has to go. They ask him to come back, and Paul says what? He says, yeah, I'll come back. But I will come back God willing. Friends, do you see what that shows us? It shows us that Paul is not just looking back. That Paul is not just looking at the present circumstances. It means that here, the Lord God, the Lord God means so much to this man that that Paul isn't making concrete, hard and fast plans about the coming weeks and the coming months and the coming years. That Paul is even looking at the future in terms of what is best for the gospel. He's looking at the future and thinking about, oh, only if it is God's will friends, I think when we put these things together and we see how all-encompassing Paul's spiritual mind was, surely, to goodness, this morning we are challenged by this. You know, if we are serious about living our lives to be used by God, we need this. We need to be spiritually minded. And I say to you, this is not just going to come naturally to you. That this we're talking about here, this gospel vision, this way of seeing the world, with the eyes of Christ, you know, interpreting these things through the cross, this only comes by prayer. And so I ask you that this week you pray for this that this week you pray that maybe as a group of people, as a congregation, we start viewing the world properly. Viewing the world in the way that God wants us to see the world. That we see past faithfulness. That we maybe see present lessons. That we maybe see all the future opportunities that we are given. And if we if we get this, you know, if we have this gospel vision, then guess what? God will use us. He will use us all the more for his glory. So we see that we exploit our relationships. We see that we embrace a gospel vision. Thirdly, lastly, let's see that if we're going to be used by God in this life, that we need to engage our gifts for God. We engage our gifts for God. Do you know people who are, who seem to be absolutely brilliant at everything they turn their hands to? Do you know people like that? Um, I certainly do. I had a friend in school and university. And uh this guy was great at sport. I mean he was just brilliant at football and he was excellent at rugby and then he was even better at cricket. Okay? Now that is bad enough, you know. But sickeningly this guy was also very bright, he was sharp, you know, he was academic, he was absolutely on the ball. Doesn't it make you sick <laughs> when you meet people like that, you know? Well, in some way, that, that, that's what we've got here at the close of this chapter. Because remember who we meet at the end here? We meet this guy called Apollos. Now, don't you think, given what, what we've read, don't you think Apollos was like this? Apollos was, was... Look, look what we're, we're told. We're told that Apollos is educated. Apollos is intelligent. <laughs> On top of that, we're told that Apollos is articulate. Not only that, is he's also passionate. So here's a guy who is good. Good at almost everything he turns his hands to. I want you to see this, though. The thing that is most admirable about Apollos is that he is willing to use those gifts for the service of God. I mean, see what we are told here. You know, he might be good at these things, but Apollos is a man who is willing to relocate for the gospel. He moves from Alexandria to Ephesus. Why does he do that? To serve Christ. He relocates from Ephesus again to Ohio. Why does he do that? To serve the Lord Jesus Christ. He's good at stuff, more than that. Oh, he is willing to risk life and limb. He's willing to, to go out and publicly confront the Jews. To tell them about Jesus. To tell them about the gospel. To see this guy. I mean, he might be talented, he might be good at stuff, but he's using these things. And he's using them for the service of Christ. But friends, I think there is a, a vital lesson that we can learn from what it is that Apollos goes through here in order to become of greater use Jesus I want you just now as we close to consider the man's humility he's great at all this stuff but you're going to have to dig into it to see how humble he is like I ask you what did I say at the start of the sermon about Apollos can you remember? remember the guy in the bookshop <laughs> I said that Apollos was preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ but he was making some theological errors that he he, he really didn't get his head around the fact that we need to be baptized in the, in the name of Christ okay so we've said that but the other thing I said about Apollos, who was it that corrected him it was the married couple wait, wait It was Priscilla and Aquila that corrected this man. Do you see what that means? Do you see what it means? It means that this able, intelligent, academic man in the first century was willing to be corrected and rebuked by a woman. It means that this incredible, academic, able man in the first century was willing to be corrected by a couple of ten-makers. Do you see the humility of this guy? And friends, if we do genuinely want to be used by God, yes, yes, we have to use our relationships, and yes, of course, we've got to be spiritually minded. But we also have to be willing to engage our gifts. So I'm asking you to go away from here this morning and really give some thought and prayer to what it is that you personally are good at. What are you good at? And to ask yourself whether you're using that for the honour of God. Are you? Are you maybe even like Apollos? Are you using what what God has given you, given you these gifts? Are you using that in the life of the church, maybe? But be very careful. Because when we think about what we are good at, what's the temptation? (laughs) The temptation is arrogance. The temptation is pride. Remember, Apollos. Remember to approach these things with absolute humility and see that, that very first thing is that those are gifts that have come to you from God. I'll end with this. Can I end by asking you a question? Do you actually want to be used in this life by God? Do you? Do you see that ultimately, to be used by God in this life, you must first be reconciled to him? You might be sitting there thinking, I want a life of spiritual worth, man. You know, I want to live a life that has some real eternal value. Can I say that that only happens if you are redeemed from your sin by the blood of Jesus Christ? Has that happened? Are you redeemed? Are you saved? Are you? If you are, if you're a Christian, hear this, know this. See, when you're on your deathbed, two things will happen. One, you will be able to look back. And you know what you will see? You will see the faithfulness of God. But on your deathbed, another thing will happen. You will be able to look forward. You will be able to look forward to an eternity with your Savior, your God, your King. So I think this morning, look at Acts 18, and we're praising God. No, I mean, we are praising God for for Priscilla and Aquila. Come on. And we are praising God for the lessons we learn from Paul. And we are praising God for what we learn about Apollos. But I think most of all, we praise God, don't we? For the Christ that they all served. Let's pray.